Good afternoon, church. Just got to sort my life out. Okay, we're good. Um, yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity um, to share a bit of a bit of my story. Um, well, part of my story um, and my journey with prayer. Because I'd really love to not go over time, I'm just going to go straight in. I hope hope that's all right. So, in most of my Christian life, um, I've known about you know prayer, right? Like the kind of prayer where you bring your petitions to God, the kind of prayer when you ask God for healing or for blessings or whatever needs you have, and um, yeah, you pour out your heart to Him. And I mean, I'd read about this kind of prayer. I'd heard about it in sermons. I'd been taught about this kind of prayer. And, you know, my prayer looked something like this. Um, Hey, God, I need this. God responds, thanks. New need. Hey, God, I need this now. You know, and it was just like over and over again. A prayer life where, like, I'm just asking and hoping that God will kind of just, you know, do his magic thing and grant my wishes, and we keep it moving. It was very much a bit more like a genie, more than a God, where I rub the lamp, and then God comes out and says, what would you like today? And then I kind of, you know, give my requests. See, that was the case until I was given a book not too long ago, and the book is called In the Spirit and Power by Pavel Goya. This book spoke about prayer in a way that I probably heard other people talking about, but I didn't really think it was something for me. It spoke about how prayer was meant to be more than just asking God for blessings. It spoke about how prayer was supposed to transform you, to feed you, to lift you, to give you strength. A prayer where you sought after God himself. In Pavel's book, he says, Prayer is to know him, to love him, trust him, and follow him to a degree that you forget self and he becomes everything in your life. Now, why would you do that? Because that's the kind of prayer that sustains you. That's the kind of prayer that carries you through some of the crazy things in life. It's the kind of prayer that actually changes you. And that's the kind of prayer where you can truly say, let your will be done. I don't know about all of you, but for me, that statement, after I pray for something I want, I'm like, oh, but God, let your will be done. But really my will, you know, like it's, it's like your will, but hopefully mine. You know, that's, that's the kind of let your will be done I was used to. Now, a few months into reading this book, this new theory that I'd learned, because really when I was reading it, it was all theory. I hadn't tried it. This new theory that I had learned was brought to test. I'll give you a bit of background. My mom lives in the UK and has lived there for a very long time. She was brought up Christian, just like I was, but hadn't been part of a church community for over 15 years. Now, Brian and I had the opportunity to go and visit her um, and do life with her for about six months last year. And it was great, right? We went over there, and our plan was we'd get there and we'd base ourselves at my mom's place, we'd be staying with her, and then kind of travel and do all the other things that we wanted to do from there. And it was around about this time that we started reading this book, In the Spirit and Power. And we were learning about, you know, like I mentioned, a prayer life where God, where we wanted God more than blessings. And I decided I wanted to try and live this out. I was like, you know what? 
I'm reading about this. There's some good stories in here. You know, you're reading a book and you're like, yes, I want that too. You know, like it was like that kind of book. And I was like, you know what, God, I want to try this too. I want to align myself with your will. I want to seek you out in prayer more than I'm seeking out what I'm asking for. Around about the same time, we started attending a local church. It was walking distance from my mom's house. And we started praying and asking God, okay, God, we're in this place for six months. It's not that long a time. How would you like us to serve the community here? Is there something that you'd like us to do here? Our Sabbath routine was pretty standard, kind of like what it is now. On a Friday night, we'd be on YouTube playing the Sabbath sing-along. For those of you who don't know, Sabbath sing-along is like a Christian YouTube channel where they um, sing songs on Friday nights just to welcome in, welcome in the Sabbath. And it's on every Friday night. And it's also Australian-based. So we were just, it was like a piece of home, you know, just to hear the Aussie accent <laughs> on a screen. It was, it was great. So that was a part of our routine. Friday night, that's what we did. And then Saturday morning, we'd have breakfast with everyone, and then we'd walk off to church. We'd be at church pretty much up until lunch, have lunch with everyone. And then, you know, for those of you who know Brian and I, we're pretty social people. So we'd always find some youth, someone to just bring back to mom's house, chit-chat, ask mom to make banana bread. It was great. And just hang out. At this point, we were praying for my mom and my stepdad, um, just in general, and also with their own spiritual journey. But we never invited them to church with us. It wasn't something that we did. We just kind of did our usual thing. We lived our normal Sabbath life. And we loved our local church. It was just a beautiful place with beautiful people, and we really felt like we were growing um, in community. We also... Um, so at, so we're, we're kind of you know, in a good place, right? Going to church, it's going well. God doesn't feel like he's really said anything about our request. Um, like, God, what would you have us do to serve? And I was starting to watch the months pass by. I'm like, God, like, hello. It's August now. It's September now. You haven't said, how would you like us to serve? Like, I'm reminding him that, like, remember, we're going back in January as if he doesn't already know. So can you uh, move things along? Can you answer me? Tell us what it is that you want us to do in this local church. I remember earlier on in our prayer, I had this random thought. I was like, oh my gosh, what if God wants us to go and knock on people's doors and be like, hi, do you know Jesus? And the thought of that terrified me. I was like, God, that better not be the answer. But if it is the answer, we'll see. I was like, Tim, okay, if that's, if that's what you want us to do, I'm going to need you to confirm it to me and Brian separately without us having spoken about it. I just need Brian to be like, I feel like God is saying this. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, he said the same thing to me. You know, like those kind of moments. And I was like, also, I need you to keep it on my mind for two weeks. A minimum of two weeks if that's what you want us to do. Silence. Nothing happened. It didn't come to mind. Brian didn't have this moment where he was like, this is what God's saying, and neither did I. So I took that as, okay, that was just probably my fear rising to the surface, that I really hope God doesn't want me knocking on people's doors. <laughs> so I let that one go. And you know, I, 
at this point, I'm really starting to get a bit frustrated. I'm like, God, I know, like, what we're reading in the book, plus what the Bible says, you know, about, like, you know, God will lead you. He will walk with you. He'll speak to you. I'm like, I know it says that, but I don't feel like you're doing that with me. I'm starting to doubt. I'm like, maybe it's for those people. Maybe it's for people like Pavel. Maybe it's not for people like me. And usually at this point, with how my prayer life goes, it's like, if I ask God for something over and over again, and I don't feel like he said anything, I literally quit. I just kind of pretend that I don't want it anymore. <laughs> it's like a, like a survival thing. I don't know whether anyone else does that. But yeah, that's what would normally happen at this point. But because we were reading this book, and I was holding on, and I really wanted to be like, God, you, like in this book, I'm learning that I need to pursue you beyond the response, beyond the answer. Whether it comes or not, I still want to know what your will is. So because of that, I kept praying. We kept praying. We kept seeking, seeking a wider perspective, seeking from the God who we knew could see more than we could. Side note, randomly, one Saturday morning, we're doing our usual routine. It's Saturday morning breakfast. We're all eating together. And mom says to us, I'm coming to church with you guys. And we're like, okay, cool. So then she comes to church, and it's nice. The next Sabbath, she comes again. Then the third Sabbath, she decides to stay for, for lunch. And then she starts cooking for church. <sighs> Give me a moment. This was not supposed to happen. This was not part of the notes. Okay. <sighs> okay. We've got time. <laughs> and I start experiencing things with my mom that I'd never experienced before. I pray with my mother Thank you. for what feels like the first time in my life. And we're not praying for the food. I hear her pray. It was like hearing the most beautiful melody I've ever heard. Meanwhile, God still hasn't answered my prayer about, like, the whole, how are we serving the church, though? And we're about to leave. It's December. We're leaving on the 2nd of January. <laughs> He's really running out of time to do something. <clears throat> the night before we leave the UK, my mom said to me, I've decided I'm going to stay at church. I'm going back. We leave the UK and we come back home. 
And the stories that we're hearing from our friends, from mom herself, about how involved she is, are wild. Like, my mom likes people, but my mom doesn't really like like people, you know? <laughs> like, she's not just going to be inviting you to her house. You know, like, it's just, it's not her thing, you know? She's not, like, super social butterfly like I am. You know, like, I'm hearing, my mom is, is having barbecues with church members at her house. <laughs> she's going to church socials. I'm like, who are you? You know, like... <laughs> I remember calling Brian one day and be like, you will not believe <laughs> what's happening at mom's house. You know, it was just those kind of stories. And then recently she told me that her and my stepdad are going to start getting Bible studies because they want to learn more. You see, when I left the UK, I thought that God hadn't answered me. But months later, I realized that what God wanted us to do in that church community was just be there, be present, to build relationships so that when my mom decided that she wanted to come back, she could. This is like the hardest sermon I've ever preached. Wow. And it's a happy one too. <laughs> okay, let me find my notes. Continuously seeking God's will in prayer allowed me to see the most beautiful gift, which was to see my mother reconnect with God. And, you know, like, going to Europe, it was fun. It was great. We ate pasta. We saw some nice things. But nothing compares to that. Nothing compares to that. Our prayer life became what Pavel's book speaks about. One where we sought communion with God, we sought out his will, and we didn't quit when things weren't going our way. Even when it didn't look like God was answering, we just continued to be present, to continue to seek him, to continue to ask him, what would you have us do here? To trust that his way is the best way. And I'm so grateful that God allowed us to see this because that's not always the story. We don't always get to look back and see the bigger picture. But I'm grateful that we got to. So what does it look like to pray through the lens of seeking God only for answers or only for blessings versus, of course, still seeking him for answers because he tells us, he tells us, you know, seek me out. He tells us to come to him and ask him for what we need. So we still do that, but we also trust him. We also seek him for his presence and his will more than the blessings. I want to compare one of my favorite groups in the Bible, <clears throat> the children of Israel, just after they've come out of Egypt, and David. When I think of um, a group of people who sought God out just for blessings and therefore did not have their characters transformed, I think of the children of Israel. I also think of them and I love them because they're so dramatic like I am. It's fantastic. I really feel understood by them. If you look in Exodus chapter 14, the story goes, they've just been released 
um, by Pharaoh from Egypt. And he says, you can go. And then he changes his mind. And then they're by the Red Sea, and they're on land. And yeah, in front of them is just the sea, and there's no way out. So what happens is they cry out to God. And what I love is that like their crying out is dramatic. Oh, Lord, you should have let us die in Egypt. You know, like, it's, it's, it's next level. It's my kind of crying out. And they complain. And then God decides to open up the Red Sea and let them walk through on dry ground. And they're in awe of him. And Miriam writes a song. And there's dancing. If you've ever watched The Prince of Egypt, that's what I imagine. You know, like... They're just so happy, and God is amazing. And then just give it some time, and they're back. Back to complaining. In chapter 15, they're thirsty. And once again, oh, Lord, you brought us here to the desert to die. In Egypt, we didn't have to suffer for water like this. We were slaves, but we didn't have to suffer for water like, you know, like just the drama. And they cry out to God, and they find water, but it's bitter. And then God then fixes the water, and it's no longer bitter. And then they're good. And then in chapter 16, this is one of my favorite stories. Exodus chapter 16, there's also like a version of this same part of the story in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, so they're hungry. And the words that they use are, oh, Lord, in Egypt we had garlic and leeks, (laughs) and now you're bringing us out in the desert to die. Drama, you know? I've never spoken to God about garlic, but these guys did. And they're moaning and they're crying out to God and he's like, okay, I'll rain food from the sky because God can flex like that. You know, like, it's, it's just wild. But I'm only illustrating these three chapters because if you actually follow the children of Israel, this becomes their life. Go to God, get that need or that want, forget, move on, repeat the cycle. Follow throughout the Old Testament. You'll realize that this is who they were. They needed things. Once they got an answer, they were quick to forget him. And it didn't take too long before they turned their backs on him and complained again. Their prayers weren't weren't transformational to their characters. They were transactional. We come to you, God. You give us what we need. We go away and we come back. Their prayers could only take them as far as their next need. And when I think about it, I'm really the same. God, please give me this job. I really need this job. God, this is the job that is going to change my life. And I'm going to do your work at this workplace. God, give me this job. Okay, I get the job. I praise him. Okay, God, so now I really need a house in this particular suburb, but the housing prices are not looking the way that I need them to look. Um, So can we work on that? Okay, now, God, like I need this next thing. I need a family. God, I need you to help me with this particular person that I'm struggling with at my workplace. I come back to God based on my needs. 
It's a cycle. I get so stressed out, I wonder what's going on up there. Is he actually hearing me? I'm not transformed. I'm not uplifted by my prayers. I'm not sustained. Because all I'm pursuing is answers. That's it. I'm not pursuing him. I'm pursuing what he can give me. On the other hand, when I think of the kind of prayer life that I hope for, it's the prayer life where I seek him, not just for his blessings. Because he does want to bless me. He does want to answer, and he will do all of that. But that's not what I'm seeking him for, only. And when I think about someone who did that, I think of David. Someone who sought God in a way that transformed him, in a way that sustained him, in a way where God became his greatest desire. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, David's son Absalom conspires against his father. And he wants to take over the throne. And he wins the heart of other people around the nation. And David gets scared. And he's like, okay, I need to gather my things, gather my family, we're leaving. So the king flees his kingdom because of his own son. He leaves Jerusalem. I can only imagine the betrayal. I can only imagine the shame he must have felt to explain to other people that we're leaving because my son is doing this to me. I can only imagine the pain that he felt that his own child was doing this to him. And what I love about David's story is that we get to see, we get to get a glimpse into his prayer life because of the book of Psalms. So when I had a look at what the Bible scholars say about which Psalms were written right about this time, right about this time when his own son is backstabbing him this way and he's had to run away, they mention Psalms 3 and Psalm 63. And they're both connected to this incident. In Psalms 3, David is praying about how God should arise and fight for him. He's praying for his needs. If you look at Psalms 3, verse 7 to 8, it says, Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord, may you bless your name. May you bless your people. So that's one side of his prayer. And then when you look at Psalms chapter 63, which is said to also be written about, around about the same time, Psalm 63 verse 1 to 3, it says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. And in verse 6 it says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. This is a man who is going through 
probably what I imagine to be the worst heartbreak ever. His own son has let him down. And yes, he's asking God, God, do something about this. But also he's saying, your love is better than life itself. Your love is better than life itself. He is pursuing God, wanting to be closer to God. In the desert, that's what he's thinking about. Yes, David brought his needs before God because God calls us to do that. But also, he brought his surrender. His desire was to pursue God more than anything else he wanted. At that time when his throne has been taken away, he says, I lay awake at night thinking about you. I'm not thinking about my son who's causing me grief. I'm thinking about you. That was more important for him. And when I think about it, I want a life like that. I want that when the worst possible thing happens. Yes, I ask God to rescue me. Yes, I ask God to help me. But more than anything, I ask God for himself. Because that's what will sustain me through it. That's what will carry me. That's what will transform me. When my communion with God lifts me up above my desires, above my limited perspective, to see his perspective. Now here are some things I found along the way that I believe can help us get there. Number one, get to know God, his character, and his voice. It's hard to pursue someone who you don't know. Why would you? It's like me saying, just chase after the person walking outside right now. Okay, who is he? Why should I? We have to get to know him if we're going to want to desire him. And there's obviously so many ways that we can do that. And I'm going to share some resources that have helped me along the way. There's a book called The God-Shaped Brain that talks about understanding the character of God from the lens of love, from who he actually is, by Tim Jennings. I nearly said Tim Keller. It's Tim Jennings. Another way that I've done this, a few months ago, uh, Jinha um, shared about a way of reading the Bible and using commentary and all of that. That's what I'm currently exploring right now, and I'm really enjoying it. You can also check out the Bible Project app. They've got a few different lessons, and you, know, you can kind of explore and learn from that. But I'd say probably one of the most impactful ways that I've learned about God and his character was when a friend of ours, um, I think in 2020, invited us to study the Bible from cover to cover. And the only thing we were asking was, what does this tell me about the character of God? We were literally taking a step back from being, you know, we're Christians, we believe this, we say this, we don't do that. No, no, no. We were like, let's take a step back and actually pull apart God's character. Is he worthy of my time? Is he worth following? Do I believe all the things that I've heard about him growing up? Is that my experience of him when I read this book? Or is it just what people have told me? 
And it really changed my life. It changed the way I thought about God, and it changed the way that I thought about myself when I came to understand him a bit more. And we were so privileged, privileged because we got to do that as a group of people. And that's what I'd suggest doing. It's something that you want to do in discussion with others. And we did that over the year. So point number one, get to know God and his character and find out, is he worthy of your time? Point number two, in Pavel's book, In the Spirit, of, of, in the Spirit and Power, he says, we forget to fix our eyes on God and instead fix our eyes on self, other people, problems, needs, challenges, and all types of other things. We're praying more for answers, blessings, etc., and less for God's presence and will. God longs to give us himself most of all. Point number two is seek his presence and his leading more than anything else. And I know that that's very hard. But seek his presence and his leading more than anything else. Knowing that he knows your greatest needs. Of course, God, like I keep saying, invites us to ask of him for our, for our needs. But prayer, as Pavel says, should be so much more than problem solving. Prayer is so much more than problem solving. I've heard this quote said many times, but the author Ellen White says, prayer does not bring, us de- does not bring God down to us, but it brings us up to him. And I imagine now that being brought up to God is to be brought up to his perspective, to his will, to his selflessness, to his level of deep love for others. Because on our own, that's not in us. So seek to be brought up by prayer to God's perspective. Number three, have time when you pray with others. Seek out prayer time with other people. One of the things that's been great is like, you know, knowing that we're praying for something together with other people. And then I find out that someone else felt like God said the same thing that I thought God said. And it's just really encouraging. There's just something about feeling like, yes, God is talking to us. And yes, God is doing something here amongst this group of people. So yeah, look out for other people to pray with. And my fourth point, try it. I can tell you my story. I can give you the book. I, you know, like we could do so much over here. But until you try it for yourself, until you test it for yourself, it's just stories. My dad likes to tell the story where a professor um, is holding an orange And he says to his students, what does this orange taste like? And they say, it tastes like an orange. He's like, yeah, I know that, but what does it taste like? Like, is it sweet? Is it sour? Is it... And they're like, well, we don't know. You're the one holding it. So then he, you know, he peels the orange and he starts eating it. And he's like, okay, so now can you tell me what it tastes like? And they're like, of course not. And he was making the point that... Unless you take the orange and taste it yourself, all you'll ever describe it as is it tastes like an orange. But you don't actually know if it's sweet 
or if it's sour, is it a good brand? Like you don't know any of that stuff until you taste it yourself. So try it. Decide that, you know what, I want to try and see whether this, this is real. Is this something that only happened for Lorraine? Do you have to be in the UK for this kind of thing to happen? Do you have to read exactly the same book? Try it. I want to close my sermon today and offer you um, to join me in one of two ways. Number one, if you'd like to join a Bible study to read through the Bible cover to cover and pull apart the character of God and discover for yourself who he is and whether he's worth following, come and have a chat with me afterwards. I'm, I'm happy to do that with you. Number two, We've got four copies of the book that I was just talking about in the Spirit and Power by Pavel Goya for anyone who'd like to read it for themselves. We can create a bit of a, a borrow list. So, yeah, if you're interested in um, reading that book and you'd like to explore for yourself, just come to me after the service and we can create a bit of a borrow list and I can give out the ones that I have with me today. Thank you. May God bless you. I forgot to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity um, to share your word, to to share my limited experience with others. I pray, God, that you may help us seek you, that we might seek after you more than the things that we want, more than the things we believe we need, because really it's when we seek after you where you transform our lives. And I just want to pray for anyone in this congregation who's going through a really tough time where all they have the energy for right now is to pursue you for answers. I pray, God, that you might carry them through, that you might respond to them, and that in the process they might learn to seek you as well. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.